Tonight we're going to continue our study of the church. Last week Chad did a fantastic job looking at the uh, idea of the universal church. Um, the church is defined as the community of all true believers for all time. And so when Paul says Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, he's not necessarily just referring to North Glencoe or to Baptist. He's referring to all believers who have ever lived. And so we see that idea very strongly in two, two places. One in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 19 through 23, where it says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills us all in all. Jesus has been made the universal supreme ruler of all the universe for all eternity. And the only place that that's really working out in the world that we live in today is in that universal church. Jesus is the Lord of the church. And that's a hard thing for us to wrap our mind around with. I mean, with little kids, you know, we do the, and this is the steeple, and here's the people, and all this kind of stuff. And we say things, some that aren't entirely accurate. The church is not the people. And, and every time, you know, anytime a building gets blown down or catches on fire, people go, the church is not um, the building, the church is the people. Well, that's not entirely true. The church is greater than, the sum is greater than all the little parts put together. The church is that organism that Jesus has put together that's made up of all the people with Christ as the head. The church is bigger than just us in this room. And God has given me the privilege of, and I've shared with you one of the things that I love about doing foreign missions work is how familiar it feels no matter what the context is when the church is being the church. I've been in little uh, churches in the middle of nowhere and literally nowhere earth and done the Lord's Supper in crazy ways and it felt like I was home. I preached literally in a grass hut before. I remember very well preaching one time in a church in, in Columbia and I kept feeling something behind me and I couldn't figure out what it was, but I was in the middle of preaching and I was trying to preach in Spanish, which will make your mind rot. And I'm trying to preach and I, I finally turned around and looked and there was a donkey that had stuck his head into the, the building and was trying to eat my hat. I've been in, I've preached in churches in India where the church all crams into this one little apartment and you've got a hundred people crammed in the apartment and there's little kids sitting on the floor all the way up to my feet and I'm up here preaching and I look down and these kids are playing with my feet because I'm moving around so much. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but I don't really stand still very well. And in all of those contexts, the church feels like the church. It's way bigger than us. And in some ways, it's way smaller because the church is two believers sitting down sharing what Jesus has done in their life. The church is just a little group of Christians in nowhere, Kazakhstan, afraid that if anybody finds out that they claim Christ, 
that they're going to go to jail praying together. The church is all of that stretched out from eternity. When Jesus talks about the universal church, when the Bible talks about the church, he sees the church as the body that God established, placed his son over, that stretches out across all eternity and will be triumphant. And it's hard for us, even in day-to-day life in the church, when you're dealing with bills and this argument over here and, oh no, the lights went out and this thing and that thing, to remember that we're a part of something so much bigger than us that it's eternal. It's so much more important than our country, our job. In fact, just the, the other day, we were, when we were in Israel, uh, the, the guy who was carrying us around said, now listen, it's important that you remember that here we're representing Christ, not America. And the thought hit me, and I said it. I said, we do not serve a country and a flag. We serve a king and a kingdom. It's important, and it's a blessing that God put us in a country where we can worship. And I thank God for that every day. But our primary allegiance is to a king. And so we see that, that Jesus is the head over the church. We see that when Jesus first mentions the church in Matthew 16. And I preached on this ad nauseum because this is really where the church concept was first thrown out there to his believers. When Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and says, you're Peter, little stone. But upon that rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that sentence, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, is so deep. It has a very simplistic meaning that everybody in this room is going to die and the church is going to go on. Sometimes we can get the idea that we're so important that the church has got to have us. And you know what? None of us are irreplaceable. And that's going to be proven with time. Because every one of us one day is going to be dead. And I pray that this church continues on long after I'm dead. But it also is, it means that the devil with all of his schemes, all of his plans is not going to overcome the church. That little gatherings of silly human beings who are trying their best to follow their Savior is how Jesus has chosen to triumph over the principalities and powers in the spiritual realm. And doesn't that show what an amazing God we have? That God can use something that insignificant to conquer the principalities and powers that rule over this earth today. So, now... So all that's the universal church. That's all believers everywhere who have ever lived. Now, the Bible also talks about the church as a local body. And as we step off into this look at local body, I I put this chart here uh, because it shows that there are two different ways to look at the church and there are errors if we go too far in either direction. And I want to just walk through this. So the universal church, if that's what we emphasize, then that's good because that emphasizes the unity and the, the Catholicness, the Catholicity of the church. is not talking about Catholic 
the Roman Catholic, but that we're all one. And that can be a very good thing. That we don't say, well, you're Methodist, so I'm not talking to you. The danger in that is universalism, which means, well, then everybody gets to come in. Then no, if you call yourself a Christian, then good, let me hear what you have to say. And that can be dangerous. There are wolves. There are people that claim to be Christians who are after your wallet. There are people who are claimed to be Christians who all they want to do is feed their bodies, whether sexually, physically, whatever. The, and, and the Bible warns us over and over and over again. And so if our attitude is everybody who calls themselves a Christian, we're all a part of the big tent, or as the term says, the evangelical village green, that we're all one big family. And so who am I to say that you're right or, or I'm right and that you're wrong that can open us up to heresy, that can be destructive the flip side of that is, is we can be divisive. We can um, be so focused on sectarianism and legalism that we think that if you're not with my little group, then you must not be in Christ. And so there has to be a balance between our view of the universal church, everyone who's believed everywhere, and the local church. There ha- we have to be able to understand both concepts and balance that. And if there's anything that we as Americans don't do well, it's balancing things. We are extremists in everything. And so I wanted to throw that chart in because it gave me a good place to, to look at the universal church, what, what its emphasis can be, the, the, the gospel indicatives, the, the things that, where Jesus said, everybody come to me. And then the gospel imperatives that say, if you believe, this is what happens. In the universal church, it's just preaching. We preach to everybody. Billy Graham said, everybody come into this tent, as opposed to the ordinances, which are narrow. When we do the Lord's Supper, we say, you must be a baptized believer to take these ordinances, to take the Lord's Supper. When somebody comes to me and says, I want to be baptized, I don't just go, well, come on, let's go. There are requirements that need to be met with that. That, that, that's a tightening down. Well, what do you believe? Why do you think that you want to be baptized? Because the last thing that I want to do is let somebody live their lives and go to hell comfortably because they said, well, I was baptized. So I want to know, what do you believe when you say you got saved? What did you get saved from? What's going on in your heart? Because I don't want to put a stamp on what they believe and say, oh yeah, that's fine, whatever. But the gospel, we preach to Everybody. If I got an invitation tomorrow to preach at the Mormon Tabernacle Church, I would go. Guaranteed I would go. And I would preach the gospel. Except you repent, you will all likewise perish. And I would try to do it in love. So we preach wherever. I've preached in a, in a uh, Muslim I, I, um, mosque. I couldn't think of the English word there for a minute. I've preached in a mosque before. Why wouldn't I? That doesn't mean that I'm going to say, well, you know what? Muslims believe in God too. I'm not going to pull a a mamby-pamby, well, everybody who believes in anything is going to make it in heaven because that's not true. And so we have to balance that. We have to balance the idea of fellowship with fellow believers. So if I go to a a conference, in fact, I I used to... um, 
try at least once a year to go to a pastor's conference because there's, some, there's joy in just sitting down with a group of people who are in the same fight that you are, praising God and hearing God's Word being taught, that communion, that fellowship of greater believers. But at the same time, there needs to be the teaching of the precepts of God's Word, even if people don't like it. And so again, there has to be that balance. The local church is where we tighten that down, but we guard against sectarianism. So now we're finally to the back row. Now, where do we get this idea of a local church as opposed to the universal? Well, it's very clearly laid out in the Scripture. Whenever Paul wrote his epistles, he wrote to the believers in that particular city, the local church in that city. In 1 Corinthians 1, we read, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother uh, Sosthenes, to the church of God. So that's big. That is in Corinth. The church of God that meets in the city of Corinth. There's a little a, a town called Corinth. There's a group of Christians there. First Baptist Church, Corinth. Or, right there, bam. And he goes on to say, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together, all, with all those in every place who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both Lord, their Lord and ours. So here he, he does this. He talks about the universal church. He narrows it down to this one little church and then widens it back out to the universal church. So to take this language, we could say that this body is the church that meets at North Glencoe. We are the church of Jesus Christ that chooses to gather here. 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you. So here was a little city in Greece called Thessaloniki, and he's saying to that group of believers. In Philemon, we read, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. So here was a little bitty church that was meeting in somebody's house. And so Paul is writing this particular letter directly to those believers. In Ephesians, we're going to park in Ephesians, so I'll move that one to the last. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, Ephesians, we're going to, over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to look at the church in Ephesus because that's the church that really we have the most details about how they work. Um, there are elders, plural, that meet with Paul in, at the end of the book of Acts. Um, that we see that in the beginning, though, that what we know is that it's a group of Christians that live in the city of Ephesus. Now, we will see indications that it's different churches in the city of Ephesus. Now, in most of the world, the way we do churches the way we do here um, isn't the way that they do it. And I'm, I'm going to try to explain this without uh, being offensive at all. In places that there is denominationalism, typically what would happen is, so when I lived in Cartagena, Colombia, if you went up to anybody who was a Christian and said, hey, where do you go to church? They would say, Centro Batista de Cartagena. But I meet at, so there was one group of Christians, and that's how they identified, but they just went and met the nearest place to their house. 
So they, once a month or once every quarter, they would all meet together in one spot and have one service together. So all the little house churches all over Cartagena would meet in one spot and they'd have a big, huge church service of everybody. And they would eat and it would be a big deal and it would last all day. But every Sunday, a group of 10, 12 people would meet in a neighborhood. They would have an elder from that group that would meet and teach them. They would sing songs together, but they didn't all have cars. They couldn't get around. So the idea that we have here where, where do you go to church? And you would say, I go to North Linco, would be very confusing to them. So what about First Baptist? How's your relationship with them? Because you both believe the same thing. Or in College Heights, in Cove Creek. You all believe the same thing. Why? The reason we're left with that is in the 40s, uh, Baptist not anticipating cars being the way that they are, had a, had a movement. It was called, I tried to look it up this afternoon. I couldn't find anything on it. I'll have to dig up my Baptist history book. But it was something like 20 by 20. The idea was, was that by the year 2000, we want to have in the South a church within walking distance of everybody. That, so, and that movement really took off. And so what would happen is a church like 12th Street or, or First Baptist Glencoe would start little churches in their community, they would be, which would be unthinkable for us. It would be like dividing up North Glencoe and having another church over here and over here and over here. But the idea was, was that we want a church within walking distance of everybody, which is why, for example, there was a place that I ran when... Uh, we were going to Stowers Hill and living there in the parsonage that I could stop and count six Southern Baptist churches that I could see their steeples. I could see First Baptist Italia. I could see Stowers Hill. I could see Carnes. I could see the steeples from six churches from right where I was standing. Now, some people would think if, if someone came from, from some other country and saw that, they would think these people can't get along for anything. And some churches are spontaneous church plants, right? We all know that. If you drive from here to Coleman, you pl- pass a church that's called Pleasant View Baptist Church, and down the road about four or five miles is Plain View Baptist Church. And I've always thought, I bet there was a serious fight in those two churches that made the people from Pleasant View go, you know what, I don't care what the view is, I'm just getting away from you. And so they went to Plain View. I don't know that that's true. I have no idea about the histories of those churches. I've just always thought that that was funny, that you have Pleasant View. That's, oh, what a pretty view. And then you've got the people down here who are like, we're just looking at this pastor and this is stupid. Um, so there are spontaneous church plants where people get mad at each other and go. go. But the reason why in, Alabama, in Gadsden, Etowah County rather, there are 70-some Southern Baptist churches when we have 100,000 people in this county now? And that seems a little silly that we have so many churches. That's not even counting the, the, the believers who are at the churches of God, assemblies of God, um, all the other denominations that are out there, this is just Baptist. But where a lot of that came from, and if you look at a lot of churches' histories, you'll see this church was planted by First Baptist Church. And even if you look at where the, other, the church location was, you could walk from there to First Baptist in what, 10 minutes? 
So why, why would they do that? It wasn't that they were mad at the people and said, why don't y'all go? I don't care where you go, but I, why don't y'all go over there and plant a church? It wasn't that at all. They were trying to follow the Great Commission to the best of their ability. And they thought, well, if we, not again, not anticipating that every one of us would own, I, right now my driveway looks like a used car lot because I've got five kids and they all got a car. And so that everybody could just drive everywhere. The thinking was, is we need to have a church everywhere so that people can just walk to church. And now we drive by 15 churches getting from one church to the other one. So, the local church has a purpose. The reason for there being a local church as opposed to just the universal church. You've heard people say, I'm sure, you know what, I can worship God just as well at home as I can going up there and listening to some hypocrite stand up and give a speech. I can, I can worship God out while I'm hunting, or I can worship God out on the river, or I can worship God sitting in my living room. That's true. That's absolutely true. There's a reason why, though, God pushes us toward the idea of a local church, meeting with a local body of believers. We don't have to guess at what that is. It's laid out very clearly in Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 4, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. We all know who that is, right? And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature and fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So why do we have a local body of believers? This text tells us very clearly, and I tried to emphasize it as I read it, It's for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry and to protect against doctrinal error. And so, the job of the elders of this church is to make sure that we are about the job of making disciples. That everything that we do is about making disciples. And so, there are some things that we've done in the past that we've looked at and said... That doesn't really have anything to do with making disciples. There's no reason for us to do that. So let's either modify it and change it up a little bit so that we're making disciples with it, or we need to get rid of it. There's no need in us to do it because that's not the job of the local church. There's a guy who, who came, I think I've shared with the greater con- congregation, that he wanted to plant a garden here on, on the park, and he wanted us every Sunday to let the kids go out and work in the garden to learn how to do organic gardening. And I said, well, you know we're a church, right? That's not what we're, I mean, that's a very worthwhile thing that kids learn how to garden, um, but that's not our job. Our job is to teach them how to grow, equip them so that they can grow in their knowledge of Christ, so that Christ is the head of their life, and to teach them how to study God's word for themselves so that they're protected from every stupid idea that comes down the pike. Different kind of gardening. Different kind of gardening. Yes, absolutely. And so that's our job, which means that if um, you 
here's, read a book or hear something that's, that, that you think is maybe a good idea and we say, no, oh, the Bible doesn't teach that. This is what the Bible teaches. Be careful of that. That means that we're doing our job. That's our job, to make sure that people aren't tossed around by every wave of doctrine. To make, it's not my job to do all the ministry of the church. It's my job to equip you so that you go do the ministry of the church. It's the job of the elders to make sure that you're equipped so that you can teach kids how, how to study the Bible, so that you can serve the youth group, so that you can do the things that need to be done so that we can make disciples, so that you can tell somebody about how you became a believer, so that you can lead somebody else to Christ, so that you can disciple somebody else. And that only happens in a life-on-life relationship. It only happens as we're growing together. The most beautiful picture I've ever had of that is right now Karen is putting together the women's tea. And the subject that they've chosen to do is, is looking at generations and listening Wednesday night uh, last week to Susie talking about how soon after she got saved, she met this lady who seemed to be living for Jesus, who was Betty Jo Whaley. And Betty Jo Whaley invested in her, loved her praised God with her in the choir. Susie was able to see how she loved her husband, how she raised her kids, how Christ worked out in her. And so she, Betty Jo fed into Susie, and then Susie has fed into people. And then those people have fed into people. And so we could actually trace the lineage of some of these ladies from all the way back in the 50s and 60s all the way to Ruthie. How this life has touched this life, which has touched this life, which has touched this life. That's the church. That is the church. That's way more the church than me standing up there preaching. It's way more the church than anything that we do. That life on life, you follow me as I follow Jesus. That's what the church is about. Because you know what? Life gets messy. And I can't address every subject from the pulpit. I just can't. First of all, y'all won't listen for more than like 30 minutes. You start fading off and looking other places and I have to do crazy skits and jump up and down. And second of all, that doesn't impact a person's life nearly as much as two ladies sitting in a kitchen together over a cup of coffee going, my stupid husband, if he didn't stop doing this, I'm out. And she going, now baby, you know better than that. And that kind of a conversation where we point to God's word and we speak into each other's lives. That's the church. And that only happens in a local context. It doesn't happen on television when you're watching some slick preacher. It doesn't happen from reading some book. It happens life on life. That's how God designed it. That's how it's worked for 2,000 years. And you know what? When all the silly fads that we come up with fade away, that's still how it's going to work. Day in, day out crying on somebody's shoulder, yelling at somebody, being with someone as your life progresses forward and pointing each other toward your common goal of serving Jesus with everything you've got. And the big difference is, I told him Wednesday night, and I'm not trying to disparage anybody's ministry, Billy Graham crusade, five years after that crusade of the people that walked the aisle and made a profession of faith, 95% of them couldn't be found. Five years, 95%. That's just the real statistic. I guarantee you that every person in here can point to some Sunday school teacher who loved on you. 
those life on life relationship growing together speaking to each other's lives those don't that didn't fade and that idea of the 99 when one of those people walk off and somebody who's earned the right to speak in their life comes and says honey you're acting like an idiot stop doing that that works and that's what the church is that's why God created the system that he did of the local church we see that again in Colossians chapter 1. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The purpose is that we mature together. And that only happens in a local church context. And so we'll see lots of benefits of the local church. Accountability is a big one. You look at any ministry that's not tied to a local church, it's going to go off the rails. Because the, what the local church can provide is a, a group of people who are holding someone accountable. When I read about uh, churches in the United States that rather than being accountable to a local body of believers, those churches have decided to set up some kind of weird board system where other pastors are overseeing the ministry of that pastor, I look at that and go, that's going to fail. Guaranteed that's going to fail. And you can look at Mars Hill Church in California. You can look at Perry Noble in North Carolina. You can look at ministry after ministry that has decided to structure themselves outside of the way that God's Word has set up to it, and it falls apart. And the big reason for that is because if I do something that I'm not supposed to, Don can walk into my office and look me in the face and say, grow up. He's not somebody off somewhere, and he, you people see my life. The system that God put in place for His church is that we're accountable to each other so that we all grow. And we'll get into the, to that in a lot more detail as we talk about the governance of the church. 